Today is December 7th, 2020, and you are listening to Sam Walking in the World, episode 39. Fastest growing podcast on all of Noel Top Terrace, and as always, these are the thoughts of a guy who used to be unhappy. Now just trying to live like he wants to be when he dies. I'm doing a pretty good job of it, too, I think. Guten Tag, Kia Ni Hao, top of the morning. Funat to Chesky, better whoop yet. Don't be a hoser, eh? And of course, big fat hello to all of my devoted listeners across four continents and two hemispheres. I'm very grateful to all of you and am thrilled as ever to hear you listening to the sound of my voice. <sighs> a lot of time has gone by since I've broadcast one of these. Uh, I don't even know where to begin. It's Christmas season. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, my feelings about it. My luck about it. Some stuff that drives me nuts about it. Um, I'm going to talk about a little bit about language. Um, there's a few words um, that I kind of thought more about, and uh, I want to share my thoughts about them with you. One of them is the word underprivileged, or privileged, or overprivileged. How they're commonly used now, and what doesn't make sense about it. Also, from scratch, people say that all the time. You're going to have to start from scratch, you know. And I always pictured something scratching when I said it, but I never understood what. I know it means to start from the beginning or like to bake something with all your own stuff instead of like coming out of a box. So I'm going to talk about that. <clears throat> um, I don't understand dudes with manicured nails. I'm not judging. I'm just saying I don't understand it. Talk a little about that. Um, and then I have some lifey stuff, some happiness hints, uh, something about shaving, how I, I hate to shave, but then I'm really glad I shaved. Um, I also, I noticed that when I look at the transcripts of my show, sometimes when I say, I recommend it, it comes out Erica Mendez, Erica Mendez. I might just start saying Erica Mendez when I mean, I recommend it. After all, what is my recommendation worth anyway? I have to ask Erica Mendez. Um, I'm going to talk about people across the street. Without looking, trusting on the goodness of society to not hit them with the car. And they're not on a crosswalk, and you have the right of way. Technically, you could hit them, but you shouldn't. But people, they just presume that when they're walking anywhere they want to go. Well, what would happen if everyone did that? Cars wouldn't be able to drive. I think that <clears throat> goes along with the uh, broken windows theory. <clears throat> if you let one or two people just walk across the street whenever they want, Pretty soon, there's going to be 10. Next thing you know, people are just going to feel like they're supposed to stop for every person in front of their car. Which I guess they should, but you understand the problem. I'm going to talk about the fear of economic insecurity in larger things. How it's a common fear. And um, I don't really have it anymore now that I'm happy. Um, and I'll kind of explain a little more about that. Um, and, uh, I guess I'm going to talk a little bit about God, um, and as it relates to the sun, our big bright sun, which of course is a star, but in general, I'm going to talk about how when you take enough things for granted, it's easy to just presume there's no God, but when you look at them closely, it's hard to presume there's not. I'll get more into that. And then in politics, I'm going to talk about how Joe Biden has filled his cabinet with women or is 
suggesting that he's going to fill much of his staff with women. The more women, the more diversity, right? I mean, if you have nine people and nine women and, and one man in a 10-person group, the only way to add more diversity is to add a 10th woman. And then more about that, just stuff that doesn't make any sense. It's virtue signaling crap. I have some sound bites for you, too. Um, uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris being interviewed by their favorite sycophant, uh, Jake Tapper. Um, drooling through the interview. He's probably wearing a diaper because he can't help but pee himself with happiness. As he asks his softball questions. But um, I'll get to that. By, by then I probably will have turned some of you off, but whatever. So I'm going to take a quick break, gather myself, and then I'm going to begin with some stupid stuff uh, about Christmas. And I'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Sam Walking in the World. Let's get started. It is Christmas season. Um, I love Christmas season. Mostly. Um, Mil Milkman, what are you doing? You going back to Wisconsin? Oh. Oh. Oh, Milkman's relatives from Wisconsin are coming here. He's hosting them. Are you, what are you? Yeah. Yeah. He's got a big barn. He thinks he can fit them out. But it's going to be chaos. What about eggnog? Eggnog is not traditionally supposed to be drank by cows, of course, because it has milk in it, and that's blasphemous. But Milky loves it. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. I, I recommend a hip flask. Mm -mm. Yeah, all right. Okay, all right, get back to work, Milkman. Okay, um, Christmas. Um, one of the things, <clears throat> first of all, what I like about Christmas is I like the lights. I like the lights. I like driving and seeing lights. It's kind of an odd thing to decorate your house with lights. Even if they're not in the shape of any Christmas stuff. It's really hard to make shapes with lights. Like I was driving by a house and I could tell that the intention of the light scheme was to be like an evergreen tree, but they couldn't get high enough on the tree. So the top kind of flattened and it looked like a mushroom. And you kind of see weird shapes like that when people try. I thought maybe what a good business would be during Christmas time is like um, precision Christmas lighting. Get all the right ladders, get all the right kinds of, um, lighting strings and stuff and candles and stuff and ask them what they want. Have like a little app where you show designs and then make their house literally look exactly like they want it to. And they don't have to do any of it themselves. I think like college kids home on break. That'd be such a good way to make money. And be able to see your work as you're driving around. Like, yeah, I did that. But anyway, I like the lights. And I like the, the idea of lights. People deciding where there would be normally darkness to put lights. Um, just creates, um, I guess, a more homey, welcoming feel to your neighborhood. Um, I think on my street, they put those little, um, candle, like little candles inside the little paper thing. I don't even know what they're called, but they, they put one in front of each driveway or next to each driveway. And as you go up the street, you can see like the form of the street lit up as you drive up it. Who wouldn't want to drive up a street like that? <clears throat> and I live in a good neighborhood, so nobody steals them or wrecks them. And um, 
I don't know. It's something about it. It's just the fact that people went out of their way to do it. It's pretty cool. Um, I like the music. I do like Christmas music. I don't really start listening to it until maybe a couple weeks before Christmas. Because I know they start that some, some radio stations just immediately go to all Christmas. Right after Thanksgiving. And sometimes you just want to listen to some tunes. Like I want to hear some Doobie Brothers. Some Bob Seger. So I switch on the channel and it's, you know, Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer, which is an awesome song. Um, so I like that. Um, and I guess what I like about the season is the feeling it's supposed to create. You know, you're supposed to feel togetherness, brotherly love, like um, helping other people. I guess the feeling you're supposed to feel all year long. That's what so many of the Christmas movies are about. My favorite Christmas movie is Scrooged with Bill Murray. I love that movie. It changes. It's kind of a Christmas carol, obviously. It's a derivative, but very good. Um, and I like the, the regular ones, too. You know, I watch A Christmas Story. Um, but <clears throat> I like that stuff about Christmas. What I don't like... About Christmas, obviously, I'm sure if you ask most people, they would say it's the commercialization. How everything is an attempt to try and get you to buy something. Promotions, people running in crowds trying to buy stuff. You know, punching someone in the face so you can get a doll back to the one you love. Here, honey. Yes, I got one. I had to punch two women in the face in order to get it, but here, honey, enjoy it. Thanks, Daddy. And then I think the worst thing of all is when commercials trying to sell you something hijack the melodies of Christmas songs or Christmas carols, and they just rape and destroy the enjoyment of that Christmas song. It forces you, they, they take the Christmas song and they force it through a crap machine. And on the other side, it's like when you, it's like when somebody farts and it stinks really bad and you spray a little bit of air freshener and then you get the mixture of the air freshener and the fart. You know, it's trying to smell good, but it still stinks. That's what I think of when I think of commercials that take the words out of the Christmas hymn or carol or song or whatever it is, put their own in. It's never good. In fact, I think to myself, I'm definitely not buying that. Merry Christmas. You lost a customer. Like, and I already hate car commercials because they jam all that information in with that close talk. And for some reason they're playing annoying, like a, a rock rhythm in the background. Like, like that's somehow going to help me. Pay attention. Makes me want to turn the channel, especially on the radio. But, like, the worst thing is when they replace the words. Like, it's just, ugh. Like, four Goodyear all-weather tires, three additional USB ports, two all-wheel drive settings, and a brand-new Chevy Tahoe. <laughs> oh, I smell that. Okay, I'm going to move on. <laughs> I could talk all day about that. <clears throat> um, language things from scratch. I wanted to know where this came from because everyone bakes things from scratch. 
people are cooking from scratch around Christmas time. Oh my God, you got to try her cookies. She makes them from scratch. Here's where I came from. You can be the smartest person in the room. It originally referred to someone scratching a starting line on the ground. Like, we're all going to race. Where are we going to start from? Here, here. I'll, I'll make a line on the ground. And they scratch, like, with a piece of chalk or stone or something. And they make a line. And then everyone gets behind the line. And that's where you start from. From the scratch. And that was stupid. And now you know it. Um, if, people, <clears throat> if people jumped across the scratch before the the gun went off or the whistle blew or someone said go or whatever, then they'd be getting a head start. Just like if you got your cereal or your uh, cookie mix out of a box, you had a head start. It was not from scratch. And so on. Okay, uh, other stupid stuff. <clears throat> Dudes with nails. I don't get it. I don't get it. They're pretty. Like, I'm talking about, like, the kind of fingernails that are, like, not real, real long, like, diva nails. And not fake nails. Actual nails that come off past the fingertip. I don't know. I want to say maybe three-quarters of an inch. Maybe half an inch. So, like, if you were to rub the fingers of your hand across your palm, your fingertips wouldn't really touch. It would be all nails. You have to kind of bend your hand down Bend your elbow down in order for your fingertips to touch. But if you have it straight across perpendicular, it's all nails. I, I, I Even when I begin to feel my nails with my thumb, I think, all right, I got to cut my nails. How much nail is sticking out? Like, can I flick it? And I see these dudes with these manicured half inch to quart, three quarters of an inch nails. I wonder why. Why? Doesn't it make it harder, first of all, to touch your phone, to tap on your phone, to slide on your phone? Um, doesn't it make it harder to make a fist? I mean, not that you're going around punching people, but I guess you could scratch them. But, like, I think of, like, a man and, like, the stuff a man does with his hands. Like, even sports. Like, you're playing basketball with those fingernails? How do you flick the ball off your fingernails? I just... I don't know. It's odd. And you see people like that, like someone that, that you know and you and that you're around a lot, and all of a sudden you get a close look at their hands. Dude, you got fingernails. Like ones that you cared for. Obviously, you must clean out under them because they're long enough to have an under. Dudes with manicured nails. I don't get it. But I don't get a lot of stuff. Uh, all right, I'm going to take a quick break. <clears throat> when I come back, I'm going to talk about the idea of underprivileged people, people we call underprivileged. Actually, you know what? I'm just going to talk about it now. We hear this word all the time, underprivileged. It tends to be a way, a kind way of talking about poor people or, um, I don't know, I'm going to say just people that live in bad neighborhoods and I don't mean in the world, <clears throat> I guess. Maybe I do, even like in third world countries where people are underprivileged. But usually we think of like inner cities and how kids are kids are underprivileged. You know, so the government usually ends up having to supply their schools with money, which is fine. But I just something rubs me the wrong way about calling them underprivileged. 
Like I think like when you're unhealthy, when a person is unhealthy, the goal is to become healthy, to get rid of the un, to do the opposite of the un. You don't want to be unhealthy. You want to be healthy. But when underprivileged, if you take out the under, then it's privileged, which I think is also referred to in a negative way. The connotation of being privileged is bad. Like you're a trust fund baby and you only got money because your daddy was rich. You grew up privileged. And privilege sounds like something that you didn't earn, I guess. It's a privilege. Although I have heard it in that context where, you know, like you, you can have hall passes at school if your average is above a certain grade. You've earned the privilege of, of walking around the building without a pass. Or, you know, you get to have a pass. Or the, um, maybe the, the privilege of driving. You know, you, you've, you earned your license and now you have the privilege of driving if you drive safe. Because if you don't, something's going to happen and you will lose the privilege. So honestly, I don't really know how to take it. But I know this. If it means that you have to earn it, and, and when you're talking about, you know, less fortunate people. Again, less fortunate. Fortunate kind of means lucky. So, like, fortunate people have had luck. Like they didn't really do anything to become fortunate. Unfortunate people have bad luck, and that's what caused them to be underprivileged. So it's like, I don't get it. Let's presume that it does mean you have to earn something in order to get a privilege. And being privileged is okay if you earn something, if you earned the privilege. So when we describe people that are, underprivileged, I think to be fair, you also kind of have to say they are under earning. That sounds callous. I know. So no, Sam doesn't care about people. But I have changed a lot in my own life. Very recently, especially. And I know that I've had to do things that I prefer not to do. Things I'd rather be lazy and not do. And I've ended up benefiting from them. And the place I've I'm, I've grown into, I'm continuing to grow, but the place I've grown into is because of choices I've made and things I've done. Am I now to consider the qualities that I have in my life to be privileges? I guess in the sense that I have to work for them in order to have them. But they weren't given to me. I don't even want to get into white privilege. I'll talk about that altogether another time. But just the idea of were you given it? Is that why you're privileged? Because if if you don't want people to be underprivileged and and you give them stuff without them having a hand in earning it, then I guess in a sense they do become privileged. Just like the trust fund baby. So whether you take what would ordinarily be a middle-class person and they become upper-class because they're privileged by their parents' wealth, you could take a person, a, an underprivileged person who's poor, and give them a bunch of things to make them privileged. And then what is overprivileged? Right? When, they, when people talk about rich people that like do, you know, commit a crime because they're just careless and they know that their daddy's going to fix it, stuff like that, they're overprivileged. So someone's got to help me out on this. Because it just, it doesn't sound like a good thing at all. 
You don't want to be underprivileged, but be careful. If you change it, you might become privileged. Privileged. I think it's a stupid word. Because it it, it seems to belie. Um, it seems to belie a, a sense of entitlement. Privileged means you're, you have a sense of entitlement. You didn't get that yourself. Kind of like Barack Obama said, you didn't build that. So I don't know. I, I think it's a common theme. And I, I also think it's time people who like government to solve problems or, or people who like to have situations resolved without the subject of the situation having to do anything differently. So I guess I am privileged. I have earned privileges that I have. So I don't know. I was thinking about that. Kind of made me say, hmm. I don't know. I don't know what you think, but that's what I think. Now I will take a break, and I'll be back after this. Welcome back to Sam Walking in the World, episode 39. Now i got a bunch of stuff here. It might not seem like it's connected, but um, I don't care. So the first thing I, I was thinking is the other morning, I was thinking how you know, I, I talk about staying in the moment. I try to be in the moment I'm in, not thinking about the next thing, or even further on in the moment I'm in, just right in the moment. And I think it's most important in the morning, like first thing in the morning. I think immediately my mind is tempted to try and make an agenda and then get frustrated by how much I have to do. And I try to like cut stuff out. Like I hate that I have to brush my teeth. Every morning I hate that I have to brush my teeth. And floss. You should floss. And and I know I have to do it. But like my mind is immediately starting to try and eliminate stuff that I've just put in my day. Like wake up, make a huge agenda, complain about it. And it, it even starts with brushing my teeth. And I feel awesome after I've brushed and flossed. So I'm like, why do I get why do I jump past it? Try to jump past it. Why don't I just wake up, do it before I have time to think about how much I don't like doing it and how much else I have to do? This may sound insane. Or maybe you can relate. But one of the things I do every morning when I when I take the I love taking the dog outside for the walk. That's like what I can't wait to get to. I bundle up and we bond. And um I think that's why she always comes to me now and I whistle anywhere I am, even when I'm up at my friend's house on the farm. Because when she was a puppy, I would whistle and she would come back and I would give her a miniature milk bone. And we still do that in our walks. But when I get back from the walk, I always go to her water. I always think I, I should go to her water bowl and and dump out what's in it and kind of clean it for her so it's fresh water. I'd like fresh water. I wouldn't want to keep drinking out of the same dirty glass. But she doesn't have opposable thumbs. She hates that. So I think I, I should do this every every time I get back. And then I think of it as something I like have to do. I'm like, well, she can deal with just the same bowl. And there's a little bit of water in there. But then I'm always like, no. So I grab the bowl, I bring it over to the sink and dump out the water that's in it. And sure enough, there's like little pieces of residue and stuff. I don't know how they get in there. Probably off her face and mouth when she's drinking and it comes from like outside or something. 
And then I, I take a piece of paper towel that's from our dispenser on the side of the refrigerator, um, rolling out frontwards first. Those of you who've been listening for, I'll understand what I mean. And I rip it off and I do a good wipe of all the film and residue in the bowl. And then I, I fill it with nice, cold, fresh water. And she always goes and likes to drink it. Like, I think she associates it with fresh water when we get back from the walk. Plus, she's thirsty. And then I give her, like, a little treat or whatever. But every morning, I have the idea, like, to skip it. Like, I'm going to skip it. I don't feel like doing it. Why do I have to do this? And then I do it, and I feel great that I did it. And it's just very odd. Um, and that brings me to shaving. If I, I used to say to myself, like when, when you're young, you like you look forward to shaving because you feel like you're a man because you're shaving. And you used to look, I used to look at people that would grow five o'clock shadows and be like, that's so cool. And now that I can grow one while taking a nap, um, I hate it. I hate it. But I know the difference between a, a face with a five o'clock shadow sort of beginning beardy thing to clean shaven and i can shave my my face clean i get good razors like the um fusion gillette fusion or something like that and um i always replace them when they start to get dull so i always have a sharp razor if there's going to be anything you spend money on how about the 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 razor that you push against your face and so um so I, I can shave it really tight. And I know how I look when I shave it really tight. Hey, I'm doing the podcast. But I don't care. She can come down. And so I, uh, I'll tell you what. Let me take a quick break. I'll get back to this in just one moment. Sorry about that. I'm back. Sam Walking in the World, episode 39. My dog needs me. My dog gets me. So anyway... I used to wish that it, that speaking of shaving and and larger things though you'll see um, I used to like if I could like get three wishes out of a genie bottle like a magical three wishes of course I'd wish for like all the money in the world and blah 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 but I would wish for never having to shave my face like I would shave it once to exactly the way I want it and I can I mean I feel for little hairs everywhere while I'm shaving and I get them all and it makes you look younger, makes you look healthier. I guess it's your it's your real self, so you do really look that way when you shave the hair off your face. But I wish I could like freeze it there, and never have to shave again. Have just that soft, perfectly smooth face for the rest of my life. Be a pretty good wish if you think about it. all the time you spend shaving. But then I got to thinking about it. And just like ripping the paper towel and cleaning her bowl and brushing my teeth, it's not so much the state that you want to maintain. It's the changing of the state that gives you pleasure or relief or uh, makes you feel good. Without the hair growing, I wouldn't get that new feeling of it being freshly shaved. You know, without... Wiping the bowl, Sadie's bowl, I would not get the feeling of a fresh kind of donation to her happiness. She would just always be happy because the dish would always be clean. 
And I think it, the good stuff in life is in the change. And it made me think of an analogy. Um, I, I play music and I played piano to kind of understand music, what notes are, what octaves are, um, why melodies sound good to your ear <clears throat> when they, when they, when people play them. And, and the funny thing is, is that no note by itself is good. I mean, well, no, no note by itself is good. And the next note by itself isn't good. And neither is the next one. It all ends up being good because of the changes in the notes. Because it goes from this to this to that. Without the changes, there would be no melody. And so that's why you can sing in different octaves and, and the music still sounds good. It gives you that same pleasing feeling because the notes go from wherever they go to wherever they go just the same in whatever octave they're in. And the beauty in the melody is in the changing of the notes. And I think, I think sometimes people lose sight of that. They think that it's just the sound of the notes. It's not. It's the, it's the changes between them that make music. From this to that. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I think it, for some reason in my gut, it feels like it's got a lot to do with why it's important to, rather than trying to keep things in the same state, to allow them to change and then changing them. And then allow them to change and then changing them. Whatever that feeling is of satisfaction, I feel like it's a common thread in life. And I think it might be intentionally there. Uh, if there's a creator, I think that's one of the lessons we're supposed to learn. You don't ever want to keep something the same. Things change, and that's good if you go with them. So I shave probably every other day, and I feel awesome about it. It gets to where I hate it. And I'm like, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna grow a beard, and it's really just I'm too lazy to shave. And then it gets to where I hate what it looks like, and I shave it, and I feel awesome. So I don't know, maybe, I, I don't know, maybe I'm nuts, probably. But um, I am going to talk about people who walk across the street without looking next. And I'll do that right after these messages from Milky. Milk, you good? Yeah, milk is good. All right, let us have it. Be back after this. Welcome back to Sam Walking in the World, episode 39. I have to say that during that break, I went and did a few things. And I actually had to stop for somebody in the street who was walking across the street without looking. I'm talking about like a four-lane road, two going one way, two going the other. Like a grocery store on it and a, a little mini strip mall on it. The kind with like stoplights where you're going, the speed limit's 40 and you might be going 45. And there's a dude in a giant jacket with a hood over his head. Slowly walking from the Wegman side of the road, I mean, from the McDonald's side of the road over to the Burger King side. Just, and even walking at an angle away from you, sort of, so that, like, he's not even going to accidentally see oncoming traffic. You're just going to trust that it stops. Like, I guess I'm in the, I'm in the fortunate position, although I don't know if I'm lucky, but I'm in the fortunate position of having a car. And being the guy driving the car on the road. I'm not the guy in the jacket, beat up jacket, crossing the road. 
really slow. Wonder like, what is your life worth that you would take a risk at just getting hit by a car? It's got to be pretty. You got to feel pretty low to think that somebody hits you well, or you're just so ignorant that you're unaware that you're even doing it. Like I'm just walking from point A to point B. It's like I don't understand it. It's like they depend on people's goodwill to not hit them. And if you happen to be that one moment when your attention is turned and you're talking to somebody in the backseat for a quick second or your eyes go down to, to the radio or down to your phone sitting in the passenger seat for even a second and you and because and, you've looked and there's nothing there and you know you can have one second without looking, everyone does it. And then there's a guy there. What if you hit him? And then I was thinking about it. I played it out in my head. Like, what if I did hit him? It would be his fault. Like, no cop is going to be like, why didn't you slam on your brakes fast enough to hit the guy who just walked in the middle of the street against the right of way? And I remember in those riots that happened this summer, they kind of used this as a tactic. A whole bunch of people would just get in the way of where people were supposed to be driving and they would surround the car. And then it's almost like the person is is held hostage by their goodwill. I, I can't drive now. I'll hit somebody. Meanwhile, people are bashing your windows and trying to hit you. I thought to myself, you know what? I bet your vehicle in court could be cited as a weapon of self-defense. If you just punched it, ran the people over, and then something happened to one of them or they got hurt and and you got, you know, charges repressed and you went to court, I think you'd get off. I really do. Like, either if it was self-defense or if you happened to accidentally hit somebody. Not, in no way am I suggesting that you should run people over, but I, I just would love to be inside the head of one of these people. They must do it all the time. I don't understand it. I want to honk my horn, but I just don't think it would make a difference. The person would be like, oh, oh, wait a minute. I'm walking in the middle of the street. That's why this guy's honking at me. Holy cow, now that I think about it, I do it all the time. This is this is pretty inconvenient for people. Huh. I wouldn't have made it to my job. I would have been hurt. I wouldn't have been able to get to my job where I work and think conscientiously about things and how I affect the dynamic around me at my workplace. Somehow I have a feeling that isn't happening. Anyway, um, I want to get on to larger things now. Um, and I want to talk about fear of economic insecurity. When I was unhappy, um, economic insecurity was a constant thought. M probably because I was spending my money unwisely. And I didn't want to appear as though I was spending my money unwisely. Because it would become revealed that was the reason why I didn't have money to spend on, you know, things you quote need. And I, I think I've said this before, but, and I think it's a common, common theme people talk about sometimes, is the difference between what you want and what you need. What are true luxuries and what are necessities? And in that, I think, is the question, well, what actually is it that makes you happy? Oddly, 
as I've become happier, my economic insecurity has decreased. But my economic, you know, sufficiency has gone up. Um, it's very strange, and I can't even explain how it happens or that it would necessarily happen to somebody. But I know that the feeling you end up having at the end of it is a peaceful feeling. Uh, could you close that door, please? And so, I did figure you didn't want to hear pots and pans being put away. Which I was supposed to do. I said I would do it earlier, and then I didn't do it. But anyway, um, one of the things that made me happier was truly determining what it was that I needed. Once I was making good choices, and I was doing what I could to help the people around me, um, I began to realize that in, in a lot of ways it was about expectations. Like if you ask somebody, what, what, why do you have fears of economic insecurity? I bet, I guarantee you the first thing they're going to say is they have a family to support. They have to put food on the table. People always say they have to put food on the table. Putting food on the table is not hard. Okay. That's not the thing that you don't have enough money to do when you don't have money. Most people. And I know plenty of people in the circles I move that, that depend on government assistance for food. And it's good that it's there. I know I rail about big government, but food stamps are something some people need. So I don't think it's really just putting food on the table. It's, it's a standard of living that you believe you're supposed to have. So you accrue all these things. You get the big house. Now you have the big mortgage. You get the car with the car monthly payment of four hundred bucks when you could have a monthly payment of two hundred and eighty bucks. Um, you want to go on a, a vacate expensive vacation in Cancun because that's something that your your family counts on you to do because it's so enjoyable. And when you live in the north, it is something that, you know really helps. But it was about setting the expectations for that standard that got me thinking about how it really doesn't matter that much. Like, if I'm doing everything I can for my family, meaning I'm there for them, um, I help with things around the house, or you know, I'm, I'm being a productive person myself in whatever ways my God-given gifts allow. And like, this is where I, was, I said I was going to talk about God. I, I feel like when I got myself out of the way and my God-given gifts were allowed to come out, I prospered. Not because I was in search, in, in search of money, but because I was just trying to get out of the way so that my gifts could come out in whatever way they were going to come out. That was the source of my happiness and my peace. And then, as a result of it, the blessings, financial blessings came. I mean, don't get me wrong, I have to work for them. But it's enjoyable work. It's, it's in a sense, it falls under the category of giving. In my own personal case, I teach and I, I help uh, mentally challenged kids. And then 
what happened when I just started trying to teach, even though I, I teach at a place where I would make probably two thirds, not even two thirds of what I would make if I were teaching in the unnamed city school district. But when I started just teaching because I love teaching, my gifts came out and then all of a sudden people wanted me to tutor them. The next thing I know, almost all of my hours where I could possibly be productive in terms of making money ended up getting filled. To the point where I, I'm able to give money to other people. But I kept thinking to myself, what if I didn't have this money? What if I was the kind of person who tried to be the best person they could be? person that I believe God wants me to be. Every day, and I try to do the next right thing. And I ended up not having money. First, who wouldn't help me? First, who would judge me? Who would judge me as a bad person because I, I, I wasn't supporting my family? Now, granted, I don't mean I, I'm just laying on the couch waiting for money to fall from the sky. I'm just, go, I'm, I'm, but I'm not obsessing about trying to go get money, choosing the job that will make the most money. Because I was making more money in a job that made me miserable. I was, believe me, my family did not prefer me that way. But when I became the kind of person my family preferred, it just stopped mattering that idea of what it would take to support them. Now, not only not only did it, I end up being able to, but I changed my definition of what it means to support them. I even said at, at a very low point in my life, I was contemplating, you know, I hated my job and I was going to have to leave my job. And I was thinking, what if I have to sell my house? I even had a conversation with my wife about it. I said, you know, what matters most to me is being happy, you know, being content, being the person I'm supposed to be. And if that means I'm not supposed to have this big house, then, then we might have to get a smaller house. And that scared her because I think people get used to an idea of what their standard ought to be. But I thought, and this is going to sound terrible, but I even thought, well, what if my wife left me because we couldn't live in a bigger house? And I thought first, that's not possible. My wife would not do that, especially the person I was becoming. And if she did, then I'm not supposed to be with her. And I kept not letting anything kind of hook into and pull down my idea of what the best way for me to be happy was. And if other people didn't want to come along on that ride with me, then they were just different people and they didn't belong on that ride with me. I thought about it for real, even in terms of my wife. Of course, she was with me every step of the way. I would have moved into a smaller house. We turned out not to have to. I think that's when the magic happens, when you stop making the end result the thing that you're pursuing. Instead of just being who you're supposed to be, allowing your own God-given gifts to come out, working at them. And then where the chips fall, the chips fall. But I thought, number one, who would judge me for not, what, not being a good enough breadwinner? I don't give a crap about that. That will take care of itself. I'd rather have them say I was a really good poor person than a rich you-know-what. I think like even in these houses where people are super wealthy, they have the kind of problems that don't get fixed by money. So lowering my standard, lowering that expectation as some artificial marker of what it would mean for me to be comfortable. 
My car is to get me from A to B. I want good snow tires and four-wheel drive in the Northeast. That's what I want. Those are needs. I don't need a um, Escalade. You know, my little Jeep is fine. I don't need fancy clothes. They don't really make me who I am anyway. And, and I've, done, I've done my share of, of southern beach vacations, and I'm telling you, once you do a couple of them, you don't, you've done them. If you're seeking happiness by changing your latitude, then I think you need to change your attitude. I did. And as much as I would very much enjoy going to, you know, back to Jamaica um, or to, you know, Mexico or wherever, which I would. If I had the money and my family wanted to do it, I would do it. But it, it no way would be it, would it be a destination of happiness. It would just be a place I went to already happy. And then the other one was, I I don't know anyone who wouldn't help me. Like if I was being the best person I could, and the way circumstances were, I I wasn't able to make ends meet. I know someone would help me. And if they didn't, well, then I would deal with whatever state I ended up in. But at least I would be happy. My wife always jokes that I could live on a desert island all by myself. I had, like, some books and, I don't know, something else to keep me busy. I think that's the best way to think. Your happiness comes from the inside. And we always consider the worst-case scenario. What if I lost it all? And that causes us, to, causes us to act in a way that actually precipitates the bad thing happening. You don't automatically let your brain jump to, I'm going to lose it all. You don't. I didn't lose my house. And, and I think in this way, it's a lot of it is trusting God, the God inside you. Like the, the gifts that you are given. And, and, and the... Um, become becoming uh, disillusioned of the fact that you need things in order for you to feel content. Things don't do it. And I, I don't know, maybe so, someone else's idea of what you ought to have. Somewhere inside, you're measuring people by the size of their house. I don't, I don't get it. So when I lowered my expectations and trusted that my God-given gifts would come out, they have. They have in spades. So, and, I, and I don't think it's anything special about me. I think it's letting go of these you know, false ideas that I had about what it was that would make me happy. It turned out all the extra money I have, I pretty much give to other people anyway. I have enough for what I need, actually need. So that's what I have to say about that. And I'll be back after this. Welcome back to Sam Walking in the World, episode 39. I'm going to call an audible. I decided that I'm not going to talk about the news and the political stuff. I mean, I'm just not in the mood. Um, but I have the sound bites and I'm, uh, I'm going to share it in a future episode. But for now, the last thing I want to talk about is kind of related to the thing I was just talking about. It kind of has to do with... With trusting God. Um, I don't want to get too spiritual on you, but the other morning, I think it might have been 
Saturday morning is when I take um, Sadie up to play with her boyfriend, Radar, at my friend's house, kind of farm country. And I, um, it was warm. It was unseasonably warm. And the, and the sky was clear, and there was a bright, bright, bright sun. It was probably about, I don't know, 9.30 in the morning. The sun was just coming up, and it was, it was very bright. And and I, I just started staring at it and thinking about it. The dogs are all running around. My friend was, I think, going to get me coffee. And I had a moment where I was just looking at the sun. And I was thinking about how if we take for granted all the things that are around us, it's easy to suppose there's not a God. But when you look at them closer and really, really consider that they're there, it's hard to, for me to, to suppose there's not a God. So I'm looking at this giant ball of fire. Okay, think about that. There's a giant ball of fire. And I could feel its warmth on my body as I was standing there. Even though it was only probably, I don't know, 40 degrees. And I was thinking, this ball of fire is the reason why this planet is able to have life on it. And I was like, we call it the sun, but it's only called the sun because it's close to our planet. It's really a star. And when my friend came out with the coffee, I started talking to him about it. He was like, you know, he's into astronomy and stuff. And he was like, there are more than billions, more than trillions, uncountable numbers of stars. He, um, he likes to talk about aliens and the possibility of aliens. And it, again, it's it, it, it's really hard to not imagine that they're there. They wouldn't do any damage to my God, though, in my mind. I mean, it, first there was nothing, and then there was something. Or there was always something. Either way, I feel like there's a, a handprint of a God. And maybe God created the other beings, too. I know that shatters some people's um, traditional idea of religion and God. And that's okay too for them. I mean, to each his own. But it's the openness to possibility that allows me to believe that there might be a God. I can't be open to the possibility of God and completely sure that there's no other life in the universe. It really wouldn't change my mind at all about whether or not there's a God. But I'm, I'm thinking this star, and there's I don't even have a number to describe how many there are because we can't find the end of it. We don't know. It's, it's infinite in our minds right now, at least. And so I was just thinking, asking myself, which is more, which seems more possible that there's not a God or that there is? And I, for one thing, I definitely understand why ancient civilizations worship the sun. We talk about like stripping everything down to its brass tacks. They worship the thing that made their life possible. Now, whether they had the acumen to, to, to consider a God, the concept of it, a creator, the idea of infinity. I mean, surely they didn't know how vast space was, but they knew the sun was the sole reason they were alive. It's crazy to me.
that it's there. You know, as I was standing there staring at the sun, speaking of what I was just recently talking about, as I was standing there staring at the sun, it was really hard for me to imagine that it mattered how big my house was. Or how expensive my luxury car was. Or whether or not I would go, I don't know, a thousand miles south to a vacation destination. I mean, none of that seemed like it mattered much at all. What, what size television I had? I got to get the new television. I'm going to see get my new phone. I can't wait to get my new phone. Like, and all those things are good. They're fine. But when detached from the, the very obvious things right in front of us that are the best indicators of how small we are, how vast the universe is, and just the miracle that we exist. You know, it's, a, it's just like kept bringing me back to the idea that all that stuff comes and goes. I mean, geez, the, the new phone came out 15 minutes ago, and there's going to be another one coming out in a half an hour. But there are things it, right in our presence that are eternal. Or at least seem like they are. And I just, I feel like so much of my newfound happiness comes with connecting to whatever that awesome force must be. I almost, I feel it inside myself. And when I get out of the way and I allow it to almost like a, almost like a beam and get out of the way of the beam and try to just ride it. And people think I'm nuts when I talk like this. But at some point, you have to reduce yourself down to the fact that you're a living thing on the planet. And you exist because there's a ball of fire in your vicinity. Uh, I just don't know how you people can be so sure there's not a God. And with that, I'm sure I freaked you out. But I wanted to get it off my chest, and it's my show. So I will see you next time. Um, as always, thank you, Milky. And as always, thank you to all of you for listening. I hope you join me again very soon.